hello everybody this is a new episode of what we call uh, coffee talks which is a small series of cod podcasts that we do with good people around our uh, universe usually we touch different uh, topics uh, we spoke in other episodes about the role of design nowadays we spoke about um, uh, artificial intelligence and what the hell is that today we have another guest york directly from germany now he will say a few words about about himself and then we start from there uh, but today's topic is web free uh, something that is might be a little unknown to most of the people honest with you i'm also not the biggest expert there but that's why we have york today so hello york nice hello sergio thanks for having me uh, all excited uh, i think the second podcast in my life So uh, this is going to be fun, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I'm York. Uh, as you said, I arrived uh, today to Prague from Germany. I lived in Prague for eight years. I'm working with Sergio as a studio lead uh, of this little uh, planet that we're on right now. And uh, yes, I have an engineering background. Uh, I have a bit of a background in agile methodologies. I Yeah, and I worked eight years as a studio lead and learned what it means to manage uh, agency from inside out. And I decided to move back to Germany in January this year to be closer to the Baltic Sea where mm -hmm. I can kite surf. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That's also what we want to do is more dig into interesting things rather than just speak about work. Firstly, just a little, let's say, personal question if you want to share how it is now your life working with the people that are so far away from you compared from before. Yeah, I would say it definitely changes something. So I'm, I still get the chance to come to Prague every six weeks or so. But I realize that, uh, I, that, that the human touch is a little bit missing. So it's hard to read between the lines when you're just on a Teams call and so much more openness. It's, I wouldn't say it's ideal, but uh, it's a trade-off. Nice. Yeah. So let's try to dig a little bit in, uh, in this web-free Uh, topic web free is nothing else than an, maybe natural or I would call it that might be a natural evolution of uh, the web has the way that we call it but actually maybe you can tell us better what it is what changes yeah, I think um, at the core of it um, web 3 I think and and also web 1 web 2 and web 3 they're all I think we, we want to see the internet as a free place you know where it's easy to voice your opinion, where it's easy to transact, where open, openness and transparency exists and new communities are being found. And I think Web3 tries to push another form of innovation and an iteration into making sure that this internet that we value and know stays open and accessible for everybody. In general, there is something wrong with Web2 right now. Um, I, it's just so funny, you know, like before we started the podcast here, you showed me uh, some news from Instagram. I'm personally not following Instagram because I'm aware of the addictive power it has. Um, I've seen that also through Twitter or Reddit in my own life. So I went down the rabbit hole in threads of threads of threads and I woke up with Twitter and it energized me with all these current news about the state of Corona or Ukraine war and, and things like that. Uh, until I came to a certain point where I realized, wow, this is a, it's an economy of attention that is trying to feed me 
uh, with with dopamine and just power to get me in. And I think that's a state of the internet we have to accept. Uh, if you look at current research also on what is happening to young people uh, with the um, consumption of Instagram or TikTok or other platforms, it seems not to be the healthiest. And uh, so I think, uh, why why are we there? Um, where we are, I think it's because uh, we're trying, like the, the companies that were built uh, after Web 1, which was all innovation and figuring protocols out and, and things like that, Web 1 in the 90s and early 2000 uh, was and is probably where Web 3 with all the blockchain and, and DAOs and, and all these technologies right now. So it's an explorative phase. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, the... The, the Web2 companies, in most cases, that's not true for everybody, they got really big by heavy venture capital being pushed into them. So they had the luxury of running years sometimes with a loss. So there was not really an economic control or something, but really just a strong and long will investment move. And that created huge platforms. So the platforms we see nowadays, that's maybe your Google ecosystem, the Apple ecosystem. And, but with all these heavy invests and a smart, obviously also management towards this goal, they created a platform. And what, what is this platform? So whenever I use the internet nowadays, uh, I'm uh, for instance on the Apple ecosystem, I have a very seamless integration of services into it. So I have my Apple Maps or my Apple Mail. And um, these, I call it the Web2 leading mode, uh, is basically a company being able to create these platforms. And then there's this following mode uh, from most of the brands we know, brands that are not tech by core. So um, I don't know, like, I don't want to say any brand yeah. names here, <laughs> but any consumer product, basically, these people or these entities are creating value through their, their core products. Let's think of an automotive producer, they're creating a car. That's how they're earning money. For them, it's really hard to think about how can I transition my company into a platform or digital player and so on. So how can I put tech at core? And these, these, in this case, automotive brands, for instance, they are struggling to create these platforms and they're following and they're seeing these great network effects of integrating other brands and so on, but they always have to do it with a one-to-one -one integration. So they don't just offer a platform and other players integrate and it becomes a marketplace, but they have to hard labor and agile teams to create products together with another brand. Think an insurer works together with an automotive brand for... I don't know, telemetric-based yeah. insurances. Mm. So that's really hard. And yeah. and yeah. One thing that you made me uh, wonder while you were talking about this, let's, uh, I guess that is uh, when you're talking about digital product and then you go to an industry which is heavily focused on a physical product, like the car, for example, the transition might be hard. Also, it's also true that for a long time, big electronic companies such, I think Apple is involved too, or other big names such Samsung, they always have this struggle of connecting the two worlds. Like, okay, I'm doing everything on digital, but what's happening to the physical um, selling point? What happened to the shop? How this thing coexists? How, in fact, it can pass from one touch point to the other one? And um, does it, it makes me wonder, is that that maybe we are really went far away or we are going far away with the, with the technology, with the technologies around it, but we are missing maybe some very good narratives and some very good story that are able to put this thing together or is simply take a bit more time because that's so new that then we really have to dig into that and find a new paradigm of uh, how we are 
making these very different touch points speak to each other. There's a there's a law that I uh, <laughs> that I learned about uh, I think in my studies and only very late in my career uh, basically maybe two three years ago I understood uh, uh, the depth of it. It's called Conway's law and in very simple terms it basically says a company will or an organization will always create the systems that follow the company's communication patterns. So if you are Samsung in your example, your communication pattern is how to bring the next mobile phone out or the next TV or fridge and so on. That is what everybody's talking about. That's your, the core of your work. Um, and it, that makes it so hard to transition into a pure digital or a stronger digital service because your narrative is somewhere else and your organization, these thousands of people align on something different. And uh, the new players, the, the, the big tech companies that came up in the last close to two decades now, uh, they just had the narrative of being internet first. You know? So they used the technologies in the digital from the get go. And I think we as humans or organizations of humans, it's really hard to jump over that hurdle and just say, okay, cool, we do both now and we fully embrace it. Because again, it's the communication structure that are really hard to change. But this is where I see um, a new value coming in from Web3. It's a bit of a, I don't think that we will, most of the consumers will really like um, interact with Web3 in a, a knowing fashion. But I rather think it will be like kind of pipelines and in, in a back end, you know, somewhere hidden from the user, but still allowing brands to, to connect with each other and digitalize and be more seamless by using these open, uh, transparent, decentralized systems, because th these systems can create for, for brands a complete new playing field, a level playing field to, in my eyes, to the platforms that you can consume from uh, Apple, Google, and so on. We will see a way more integrated and seamless world of objects uh, interacting with each other. There's a very simple use case. Imagine you have a, um, a charger, sorry, how's it called? A wall box for your EV, electric mm -hmm. vehicle at home. And you're all day at the office. Uh, you could make this charger available for other humans, right? But there's no uh, form of application or integration that is seamlessly usable by all car uh, uh, brands. And uh, this is just due to the fact that trust needs to be built between two entities. So the, you as a wall box provider need to trust the person that comes to your parking spot at home to pay you for the power. And the person that comes to your home uh, needs to have the trust that uh, this person will receive the power into the car. And this can be built with one-on-one -on -one integrations of apps and cars and so on, but this will not create a you know new mesh network and uh, of, of charging positions. There's so many, you know, little hurdles still. Why do I still need to buy a tram ticket in Prague? Why can't I just top on the tram and the tram registers that I have uh, uh, the crowns available, the 30 crowns to pay for the trip? And it will do this automatically. And I see that the Web3 at least creates a promise for brands to be able to integrate on that level in a very privacy reserving, in a very human-centered way without amassing information on one platform. Now, what I uh, like that you mentioned uh, at the end is this human-centered, um, I would call it behavior overall. Uh, maybe as a, with a design background, I see more things as a pattern. So in case of humans, for example, I would expect that as is somehow happening with the 
with a Google environment on a computer, you can log in, let's say, in your Google account and other applications that are not Google-based can use your same login and use the credentials so you can access f Facebook, for example, or any other platform that supports integration with, uh, with Google. So I expect that expanding something like that outside in the physical world, that might be something that drives me, I would say, even to more important topics, like even might be sensitive case, but even like your ID cards. Why do I have to bring my, I'm Italian, so I still have the paper ID cards. But so why do we need to hold to these formats when identity is in fact something that is not materic? So maybe is there something still missing there that we can actually do that no like it's uh, makes uh, absolute sense and obviously there are countries out there already who are using uh, pure electronic ids uh, uh, i see a lot of platforms where i can sign in with google or, or uh, meta whatever uh, account but I, i don't see a single platform where i can sign in with my in germany the id is called personalausweis so mm -hmm. a, and maybe you even need a card reader i don't know it seems to be uh, pretty complex maybe you can file your taxes with this Uh, but this is the only service uh, for the integration. That's really, that's the platform problem, right? So the, the government doesn't have a tech platform. And uh, so nobody adapts to the government in a, in a bigger regions, but rather to where the most consumers are, which is then the Google and Apple ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And I think that's still a struggle. But again, the Web3, I believe, levels that field. So if governments understand, okay, I can issue uh, uh, an ID as a, NFT, so it has nothing to do with art, but as a, as a, a non-fungible token, which basically means it's not separatable, it's one thing, and I say this NFT goes to Sergio, uh, then I think they will use a, a, an open internet, open source standard to say, okay, cool, we issued on the blockchain and we trust the validity of this document because it's certified cryptographically by, in my case, the German government and my private York signature somehow. Right now, the user experience in, in Web3 is, uh, is really bad. Um, I don't know who in the audience uh, already has a, a wallet and interacted on tokens and so on. But basically, if you, if you want to buy an NFT, um, I, I read it recently uh, in, in a newsletter. I think it was 38 clicks or 28 or something like that clicks from, you know, like uh, uh, um, email to purchasing an NFT. And it, this all doesn't add up, you know, as a, as a, uh, we are, yeah, we are used to services like a bank or, you know, people who can reset accounts. We're used to services where it's, it's again, super easy, one or two clicks until I purchase and I don't need to like onboard my fiat currency, like check crowns into a, Ethereum uh, 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 fungible token and then transfer that into an NFT and, you know, like sign cryptic messages. But it's being worked on to have better user experience there right now. There's a, there's a technology called account abstraction, which basically will facilitate uh, the onboarding of normal people into the Web3 so that my dad uh, can, can also participate in it. Then I also believe we will not again see so much of it. There will be no wallet extension or things like that, but companies will do the custody, the protection, the recovery of your accounts and so mm -hmm. on. To me, it sounds that it's been more in a more broad meaning of that, more environmentally um, 
aware, let's say, as an attitude. So let if we are talking about uh, apart from being less physical, but also being more connected with each other in a way that really we are a, re- a little bit going after even uh, country boundaries. So my Italian ID allows me to pay taxes in Czech Republic because I have a, an infrastructure that is validating my ID. Yeah, like we, I, I think I understand where you're aiming at. The core of it is like, I think consumers will consume Web3 technologies just through more seamless experiences. So that would mean that all of a sudden, if you're more like, if you're thinking more of a world where we're not so physical anymore, but we are more and more digital over time, for sure you can use these certificates and these uh, Web3 artifacts like NFTs to then also be a credential for you to prove something. I. I read this morning, or was it yesterday, in the A16Z. A16Z is a big uh, venture capital uh, um, company. They're also heavily invested in crypto and in AI uh, right now, too. Um, they uh, were highlighting a story uh, of um, a, a, a startup from Africa, which is uh, trying to certify your university degree on a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. The problem they are seeing is that uh, universities in Africa, probably just also in the rest of the world, they're very protective about, I mean, they are basically an institution uh, to teach you things, but then ultimately to certify that you have a certain degree. So you get the stamp from them, the letter. And in uh, the startup said, if you lose this certificate or you don't have access to it anymore, it's really hard to get it back. And most of the time you just uh, get a letter from the university stating, yeah, yeah, you've got a bachelor degree, whatever. But um, these are real world problems that, you know, like that that hold you back for days or weeks or months, maybe even sometimes. That's just a very small case uh, that is being made here. But here already uh, is interesting in, in my eyes. And the same is then true for the identity that's going to the question you are yeah no, that it is very interesting maybe uh, you said that this need to be built uh, uh, let's say trust uh, which is maybe something that comes from I don't know, companies and government that they have to support and build that but is that on people that we have to build a new form of uh, alphabetism I don't know if it is the correct mm-hmm. word like to try to Teach basically them. people to to um, to learn mm-hmm. how to cope with that that not everybody can grasp the idea that if it is like in my telephone basically uh, is telling me that that's why i am and that's why i can pay taxes there or that's why again i'll jump on the ta- on the tram and the ticket is already paid i don't have to think about that anymore and so where is the security there how we build that as well this new knowledge i I mean, also mentioning that because, for example, some data that I love to uh, uh, mention sometime before Corona now, I mean, thankfully between big brackets uh, to the Corona times, this has been changed. But before in Italy, less than the 30% of families has a computer at home and basically all of them had at least two mobiles. Yes. Uh, now it, it has changed a bit, but still there is a barrier to access the technology absolutely agree and uh, i think the barrier is uh, is is even higher still because we're not using the potential of the technology to the fullest degree but the first moment i i left the cap and said Woo, no paying 
That is interesting. Uh, basically showcases you the tram example. So in, in nowadays everybody uses it this way because it's way more simple and it's just more seamless. Mm. And it also like I believe it also like fuels a bit the demand for the service of a taxi. So the barrier is way lower. In the past, it was higher, I believe, to 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 really mm -hmm. hail a cab and call them and reserve them and whatever. And there's so many of these translations that could make the life of people without a, a, a deep digital understanding way way easier. Um, I I believe we will be entering a world where uh, possessions, objects that we're having in our life can can interact more automated uh, according to pre-programmed rules, if you allow it. Uh, but with other entities. So I imagine the first time you, uh, let's use the tram example, the first uh, time you jump uh, on the tram in Prague, uh, maybe your uh, phone will ask you, do you want to uh, give access for the tram to your uh, credit card? And then you just say yes, but the whole thing is not being programmed by the Prague Transport Authority directly implemented through a blockchain. And uh, I think this is, something that the industry will understand in the next few years. Again, the UX uh, is so important to improve the way you can recover then also your money. Right now I can call my bank and say block my card or unblock my card or send me a new card and a human will do that for me. And I think we will need these systems also Uh, also, also for the uh, blockchain and Web3 technologies at the end of the day. And I, I see a lot of flexibility coming up with more and more brands exposing their services, but also you as an individual, as a human, to, for instance, expose your identity as, as far as in, in 2012, 13, 14, 15, the zero-knowledge-proof uh, uh, technology got another twist on it. In the 1990s, it needed to be... Both parties needed to be online to 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 validate that mm -hmm. proof, and then there was this breakthrough that this can happen asynchronously. So one party can be offline and then online, and so on. That, that makes it way easier. And at that moment, blockchains uh, threw a lot of money and crypto startups on this technology because for them it's a is a means to scale the platform so that more transactions can go through it and so on. Right now, blockchains don't process. I mean, there are, there are blockchains that can do it, but the big ones, Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin, uh, they they have very slow block time. So mm -hmm. I don't know what the transactions per seconds are, but it's a fraction of what Visa or MasterCard is doing. But I think uh, this is where you can see that uh, a public good, so a cryptographic technology like uh, zero knowledge proof is being pushed forward uh, to all humans. Uh, it's uh, open source. It's funded uh, from all the uh, crypto companies mostly, but it can be used also outside of the Web3 realms. But this is a really cool example where you could also then share your location with a tram without revealing your real location. That's also pretty, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, interesting. And What, what is at the core of it? I don't think it's um, to be a bit more philosophical or political here at the end of the day. I don't think it's good if one entity, let it be a government or a company, aggregates a lot of data. Uh, we've seen that through history, that uh, this is always power over the humans and it can be misused and it is being misused. So I'm, I'm more looking to a world where we are all interacting of predefined rules uh, that are maybe... Uh, somewhere defined uh, in, in smart contracts on a platform like a blockchain uh, but eventually that this data um, aggregation is not necessary anymore in central mm -hmm. players yeah you mentioned a few times the cryptocurrency 
which like when I first heard of that, even before, uh, let's say grasping anything about that, I said, yeah, actually we, a lot of our time, maybe now in Europe a bit less because there is almost one unified uh, um, currency, but then with the cryptocurrency, we could re really like go an instant uh, uh, payments without thinking where I am basically. And also I find, I find it quite, let's say, democrat democratic, the fact that one, it always have the value of one, uh, which is super weird to grasp, but money don't have the same value in different countries. So then that's why, for example, if I think of simply as a tourist person, mm -hmm. I just travel for the first time in the US, I have to pay the tram. I don't have to think about neither the conversion of my money into American dollars or, um, yeah, or I have to change money somewhere. All these kind of things make it more seamless. But now when we touch the topic of cryptocurrency as well, let's maybe spend a few minutes more about that because we know maybe till last year or a bit more, there was really a huge hype around that. It was everywhere in the media we were talking about that. And now it seems a little bit quieter at least in the exposed world we talk mostly about the people that you meet on the street not just professionals that actually uh, are in within the field so what is the status as well of the cryptocurrency is it what is changed in the last year let's put it like that okay long or short answer uh take your time <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, where to start a bit so i think Uh, cryptocurrencies in general, um, I uh, I think we all got aware through cryptocurrencies uh, in 2009. I think mm. uh, Satoshi published his famous paper. And from then on, Bitcoin uh, became kind of a term. And uh, it was a scheme to get rich or poor quickly. And I think a lot of people also just gambled on it and it got a lot of media attention. But it's called cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin does not fulfill a currency uh, uh, work. There's derivatives like Litecoin, or but I'm, I don't know the details so much of it. But so far, I don't observe any significant payment, uh, uh, like day-to-day -day payment. Mm -hmm. I bought some chewing gums this morning. Uh, I, I cannot envision, envision buying them with cryptocurrencies right now. This is about to change, I also believe, but we're, we're seeing that through Bitcoin with these very slow block times. I remember there's this beautiful place, Parallel Nipolis in Prague, Holeshovice. By the way, in two days, there's also the Holeshovice testnet going live mm -hmm. on Ethereum. That's pretty cool, too, uh, from the Bordel, the hackerspace. The, the hackerspace is called Bordel. It's in the cellar. They're also a nice place to visit. It's a cool community. I think Prague is very on the edge there worldwide uh, concerning these forms. And it was the first cryptocurrency only, maybe first Bitcoin only, I don't know how they framed it, cafe. So you couldn't pay with check crowns, euros, US dollars there. You had to have cryptocurrency to get your coffee and they have delicious coffee. But I remember two, three years ago, standing there and paying for my coffee with Litecoin. Then this transaction is super clumsy. You scan a QR code, mm. you confirm the transaction. It takes... 30 seconds, then it fails, you try again, it takes 20 seconds, but it's awkward, right? It's not like this payment that you instantly have. And um, so I think cryptocurrencies come from this idea of Bitcoin that it would be like a day-to-day -day operation currency. This is not what it is. But Bitcoin is used to 
transfer huge amounts of money across the globe already nowadays. Um, obviously, there are other blockchains like Ethereum and so on that are uh, doing similar uh, things, maybe more programmable in this way. But it created this notion this should be money. But how can that be money if it's so volatile? So one day it's what was it 60,000 and the other day it's 20,000 uh, worth one Bitcoin. So you cannot, you cannot um, imagine you get your salary and it's like floating uh, by 30% every month. That simply doesn't add up. And now what is happening that, uh, and there's also different forms of currencies, like for the day-to-day -day operations and, and for running a government and a country or European Union, whatever, I think it's, it's good to have a currency that has a certain degree of inflation and you print a bit of money because this also puts investments into the uh, and it creates growth at the end of the day and bitcoin and i think also ethereum but ethereum still has to play out but bitcoin is limited so there's only a certain amount of bitcoins ever available and that's also not really healthy as an investment instrument but it's a very good store of value maybe for people so but now, just a two three weeks ago, um, uh, PayPal introduced the, what's it called, PYUSD. So in their wallet, they have now a cryptocurrency uh, uh, packed to the dollar. So it's basically the US dollar. And for every uh, uh, PayPal US dollar that you use in the app, there's a real uh, dollar being saved on a bank account. So they all of a sudden you have PayPal being able to transfer currency this way. And uh, I read an article, Subin, it was a blog article, so I cannot validate it and also was referring to American insolvency law. But it actually said that if you use this uh, PYUSD, this uh, PayPal US dollar, the cryptocurrency from PayPal, you have a higher protection uh, uh, from loss than if you're using the classical PayPal uh, government-based US dollar. That's super interesting also because yeah. if PayPal would get insolvent, which I don't think they're going to do in the next few uh, years to come but if they would get it uh, would become insolvent uh, the py us dollar you would get instantly back but the one that is in the real us dollar would be harder to grab and maybe some debitors would claim it forced but mm -hmm. uh, i mean there's a bit of a niche story but at the end of the day cryptocurrencies not quite there yet but i'm also aware of the investments that visa and mastercard are doing to be ready to flip the switch because what will cryptocurrencies do the moment they can transact more quickly, they will reduce the amount of money you pay for a transaction. So I think Visa and MasterCard this year, at least there were plans, coincidentally both together to increase the rates. I don't know, I'm not a merchant, but I think something like 2.5 to 3% of an average credit card transaction go to Visa or MasterCard, not to the mm -hmm. merchant. So imagine you sell a dress for 100 US dollars, then three US dollars of that would go to the credit card company. I believe that cryptocurrencies will push that down to one, two or three cents or maybe even make it free. And uh, this is the competitive power that is in this technology, but it still is like the Internet in 1999 or 2001. It still has corners. It's not fully there yet. But the technologies that I see that are being currently built uh, are clearly hinting into this direction and all the big companies are preparing themselves mm -hmm. so that they can still play a role in it. Uh, well at one point in time i will trust more also technology that has some year history of research and evolution before grasping something that is so Absolutely. new i mean some people bought bitcoins for cheap and they got big revenues let's put it like that but also 
the same amount of people, or maybe a, a large amount of people can say how many, also have been scammed by other similar uh, cryptocurrency created by scammers and they simply lost a lot of money. I've seen recently a documentary about that on Netflix it was actually mm. pretty interesting, uh, interesting how this guy was basically claiming about it taking the money and just enjoying his life without the money. That's <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. like there's, but there's also this aspect of, um, of uh, inflation, like hyperinflation. We, mm -hmm. we feel it right now to the inflation yeah. in, in, in uh, Europe. Uh, and, but globally, if you look to Argentina or Turkey, you basically have hyperinflation. You're like, I don't know if that's the correct term, but you have maybe 20, 30, 40% of devaluation of your money. So think your life savings are on the bank after 20 years of work and you see how they the, the value fluctuates and becomes less and less and less. And I think it's fair to say, obviously, these governments try to restrict it, the access to crypto uh, because they want every citizen to use their own uh, currency. But there, these cryptocurrencies can already be now a life changer. And how would you be able to access a, a, a US dollar from Argentina? You cannot access it from the maybe in low amounts only from your local bank. And uh, then there's a black market, which is also not accessible. But now all of a sudden you have this uh, cryptocurrency. And as long as you're able to onboard somehow into it, you're basically kind of saved and you can go to the more stable asset, whatever country currency you pre uh, prefer there. And I think often, like the, from I have a lot of attention right now on Africa. What is happening there on the in blockchain technologies? Because this is really a region where uh, uh, high capital costs are involved. Often, if you want to have a micro loan, like think you know, a sewing machine or maybe a small uh, car or, or, or a motorbike. Uh, often consumer credits are between twenty and thirty percent of interest rates. That's how brutal the system is and that's also how people are kept away from from yeah uh, prospering in, in in these economies and i think we will see the first big cases maybe africa will be one of the first uh, regions and con the first continent to really play deeply in crypto with with startups in this area and i think it's really interesting to look there but then here in in europe or in the us we don't see much of the uh, products because these people are also pretty much shielded from our conferences from the information exchange and so on imagine uh, you try to get a visa to travel to munich uh, for a crypto conference from africa it will be like uh, weeks of work or months of work mm -hmm. to get that paperwork done and and that is also really uh, crazy how often we don't really see what's going on in this industry and um, i just focus too much on myself and many things that cryptocurrencies solves maybe here if i may call it this way in the western world uh, we don't really have the the deep desires we trust basically relatively our governments i do trust mm -hmm. the government in germany that they will not take my money away or that there will be a hyperinflation and so on but i would maybe react way more differently and these are new forms where it's uh, opening up but at the core i think it's still also important to understand uh, the programmability of these individual objects so i think that everything that we own uh, uh, or most of the things we own will be tokenized eventually so maybe it starts with the more high value objects like a car or your house or a, 
we 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 recently used that in a presentation in uh, in Stockholm. Uh, we showed a snowmobile where we ideated on the uh, op possibility of saying, okay, why don't you like uh, make a, a landing platform uh, based on blockchain technologies where people can simply book that uh, um, uh, uh, jet ski or the ski bob or whatever we were showing there. And uh, you have the chance then to make sure that through this blockchain transaction, insurance comes with it and uh, it's well protected, that asset. So it's really easy. Let's say you own a, a, a snowmobile in, in Sweden um, and you use it uh, once a month. You can use all the other 29 days or 30 days of the month to lend it out to your neighbors, to share it and earn also with it, you know. so. We believe that the programmability of the snowmobile will allow them to people to uh, interact with it, even if you don't know them. But the blockchain will protect you from damage or fraudulent use or or elements like that. And mm -hmm. I see this uh, that that objects will be way more accessible in the near future. And I think it's also something that uh, that uh, with share economy that is something that uh, we need and also want at our core. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, for me, there the was also interesting the, what you mentioned just now that somehow it create a little like uh, I don't know package again. You want to access to a service, so let's say that uh, if I pay in cash, I can be anybody and paying for whatever. There is no sort of there is in fact zero security around that. If I use a cryptocurrency, I can access to a package ensuring who am I. Uh, where I'm going, what I do, etc. And on the other side, as well, they're giving you the security that the transaction is still on a secure channel and is not, uh, yeah, again, oops, okay. Um, and it's kind of safe, let's put it like that. So that will also um, attract me a lot. And I kind of connected to the concept uh, of tokens, but also NFT that you mentioned, like again, NFT as a form of art, it got again a huge hype uh, in the recent years, uh, probably because it was interesting new form uh, more than for the nature of itself. That why maybe sometimes the the picture itself is something that you can discuss if that's really art or not. But to me, it was not really the point. It was really the idea to try to apply a technology that brings security, and once you have that path secured then you can apply it to everything. So I can have a funny little picture that is my ID, so I don't have to uh, show the ugly picture of myself um, or six years ago that I don't look like that anymore. Like, uh, But then it's kind of updated because it's taken from the online source, uh, but the security is in the data. So that was, I found, uh, more interesting in the NFT themselves as we uh, what's behind that. Um, but uh, apart from the state of the art of the artwork itself, which I'm less maybe again interested now, is that is it true what I said? Is it interesting the this possibility of really creating this package? It is is it something easy in fact to build up? Like can I do it by myself easily? Yeah, like, easily is a big, uh, big bracket thing always. <laughs> yeah, like so to start a little bit with the NFTs, my opinion on them, I, I was also surprised about the activity that the art scene 
uh, created. And I think it was for many artists a really cool instrument to make money. And we struggle. Uh, I have friends in, in Germany. They are um, actors in theaters, state-owned theaters. Um, they they don't earn much uh, as artists. And I think we, we see that a lot. Um, and, and to have an instrument to monetize your art, to have the direct inflow, maybe without a gallery as a middleman. Again, like I mentioned middleman before. So yeah. I think this blockchain technology will remove at least, um, maybe not remove middlemen uh, or, or middle. Uh, women uh, completely but uh, at the end of the day at least they will have to adjust their price tag and their service level and um, so for that I really value the NFTs and I think they're going to be here to stay first time possibility of really well using trading digital art I, I still remember uh, I saw pictures about uh, uh, video installations from the 1980s uh, or 90s, sorry, I think VHS system or whatever it was, where the artist sells you this video VHS tape with a signed copy that this is the original. And, uh, you know, like awkward, uh, maybe a seal on it and so on, and but really hard to trade. And now we can trade digital art. That's cool. Um, but at the core, um, the artist jumped on the train and so many people now have this image of uh, uh, Web3 and blockchain is either cryptocurrency or digital art. But if you look behind about currency, we spoke already a little mm -hmm. bit before, and I think more modern blockchains than Bitcoin are really able to, to be programmable and uh, uh, steered algorithmically and then create these smart contracts and, and smart automated systems. But uh, looking back at the, the NFTs, behind the NFTs, there's also very fantastic uh, technology. So you can read the NFTs and read the metadata, what is the image uh, of this NFT, but you can also write to it if the project is set up in this way. So this art can evolve over time. It can, mm -hmm. can change and you can program money streams or you can program creative work onto it. It's a Turing complete machine. Which basically in computing says it's it's uh, uh, your phone or your uh, MacBook is a Turing complete machine as well, uh, so it can do any kind of calculation that we can think of in classical uh, yeah. uh, algebra or, or mathematics. Uh, but uh, the the idea behind is really cool, and that's where I think we will see more these art NFTs. All of a sudden, your car will be an NFT too. So it's your car with the distinct history of service or whatever that goes into that direction. So your question, is it easy to onboard on that? Uh, I think absolutely, because everything is open, but you need to have a bit of know-how in programming right now because the hurdles are still, the space is just evolving so quickly. There's every week there's new proposals on how to improve NFTs and you can follow that or not. And, and I think it's really hard to keep pace with the development in the area right now. But yes, we see already brands um, uh, that use tokens, these NFTs uh, to create communities. So these token gated communities, you basically have to show this NFT that you own it in your wallet to be able to access it. We try similar things here with the song mixtape, uh, our meetup series here in Prague uh, uh, to play a little bit around with that. And I think that's a, that's a bit niche at the end of the day because how big will these communities be, but it's still cool. And then at the end of the day, it's programmable, right? So you can couple your artwork with, with anything, maybe, yeah, whatever comes to your mind. So, and I think it's accessible, but maybe not in a, a click and, and play way, but still you need to code for it, if that was your question, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, um, to me, always all this topic, I try to see a way how people can really and grasp a little bit the idea behind that because I think 
sometimes when you go so far from the object form then it gets harder to grasp uh, that's I mean that's what I that's what I'm thinking maybe because uh, I feel that our uh, if I can put ourselves in the same generation but for we are we are the one in the middle from starting for a pure physical based yes. uh, society to something that is getting purely digital or a lot based or starting from digital touch points so we are kind of seeing both yeah. side of the world i love telling <laughs> this story then a, a couple of years there was this uh, there's every, every year there's like they coin these words right word of the year and there was a word of the year for insulting somebody and um, on some schoolyards uh, we were both not on the schoolyards at this year that's maybe three four five years ago mm -hmm. but default uh, uh, was this uh, word of insult and what does default mean it basically means the default character in fortnite so mm -hmm. you didn't wear the fancy clothes by the way you can well you can purchase clothes accessories and so on in fortnite they cost you real money and uh, kids spend a lot of money on it just look up the revenue of uh, fortnite uh, it's it's incredible but um, these accessories don't give you any advantage in the game but you look different i still do remember at my schoolyard in munich you wanted to have a certain brand because it was just the hype and i think fortnite is the same and if somebody calls you default then it shows you that you're not wearing the brand so you're not having the money uh, to basically uh, style yourself in fortnite And if you think it through the eyes of our generation and uh, looking at this younger generation, there is social pressure in digital ownership. So for them, a digital ownership, these are the internet native people, is something completely normal. And I truly am convinced that these NFTs will be the format of uh, digital products in the future. The tradable ones where you need it, the collectible ones like art, uh, But, but also the ones you want to interact with. So mm -hmm. in, in regards to our charging example from the beginning of the podcast, it would be your car is an NFT. Um, it has a wallet kind of through you with a bit of money. It drives to my charging station, uh, which is an NFT. And then they just communicate through the internet on the blockchain and ensure that the transaction happens under the rules that were pre-agreed. And that's such a little use case. Nobody will see Web3 in it, but it will be so beneficial to it. And um, yeah, so digital ownership, it's here to stay. Um, I'm, I'm convinced by that. And, and uh, if you don't believe it, uh, I'm happy to argue I with do. you, but maybe just get real. <laughs> so I talk to the, to the people on the schoolyards yeah. nowadays, at least in our societies here. Okay. Thank you very much, Jörg. It was a very interesting conversation. And we touched a lot of topics that, Uh, not just web free related but all around that I hope that people enjoyed that and um, so now we say again thank you and goodbye to you uh, I really enjoyed that on a personal level too and um, yeah look forward for the next episode whatever it will be thanks Sergio <laughs> looking forward thanks. thank you bye